You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, I think we've got a very interesting topic presented by our own Craig Hansen. This program is going to be entitled, What If American Christians Were Truly Followers of Christ? Very interesting, Craig. And so why don't you explain yourself? <laughs> All right, Tom. Well, oh, thank you. It's good to be with you guys tonight. Yeah, that's the title I, I came up with. And I thought, you know, to be Christians, you know, we're to be little Christ, as, as it were. So what would it be like in this country to try to imagine it? And I'll put some points out there that we can discuss it afterwards. I'd like to talk about five men this evening. First, John the Baptist, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, and Jesus. John the Baptist and Jesus were both born into an apostate Judaism. And the, the harshest words made by both men were directed to the ruling religious power structure of their day. John said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And that axe that John was talking about being laid, that was the exposure and judgment of a religion that had departed from its roots and now had been dominated by tradition, legalism, and politics. That Acts you know, really fell hard in 70 A.D. Arguably, the most quoted passage in the New Testament is John 3.16, and most people don't know where that fits into the narrative, but it actually occurs uh, just after Jesus has his famous conversation with Nicodemus. It's very revealing that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because as a Pharisee, uh, he was definitely in the minority camp of those rulers who had recognized that uh, Jesus was sent from God. The next time we see uh, Nicodemus in Scripture is that he is defending Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin, and the last time he is mentioned is uh, he is with Joseph of Arimathea preparing Jesus' body for burial. Okay, so uh, why mention Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea? Well, it's because they both stood up against the apostate Judaism of their day and were followers of Jesus. Jesus had this to say about the ruling elite in Matthew 5.20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus goes on with his uh, famous uh, seven woes spoken against the, uh, the Jewish leaders. That's found in Matthew 23, and it goes like this, the first one. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, 
And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And the last, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would have not taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpent, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar." Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Then he follows with his uh, lament over Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And like I said earlier, when 70 AD hit, that was really the judgment that fell on the this generation uh, that Jesus had prophesied about. Well, if we hold these truths, you know, we believe that the uh, Zionistic Judaism of today and the Christian Zionism that supports it really have more in common with the apostate Judaism and Pharisees of Jesus' day than the historic Christian faith. We don't believe in what's called replacement theology, which is defined as the church replacing the nation of Israel as God's chosen people, but rather we embrace the belief that is Judaism and Christian Zionism that have left the true faith and instead have replaced the truth of God with the traditions and teachings of men. So back to the question, so what if American Christians were truly followers of Christ? What would the church in our country look like? Well, I've, here's some of the differences that, I'd expect to see, and uh, each one of these points, it's a whole nother discussion that I'm, I'm sure will we'll generate my thoughts on you guys as we, we go through these. Uh, number one, the church, as followers of the Prince of Peace, would be advocates of peace and not war. Kind of like a no-brainer. Number two, the immoral and unconstitutional central banking system would not be supported by and through the greed of Christians wanting more and more and using debt to fulfill their lusts. 
Rather, Christians would be following the early church's teaching of contentment. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The church would also understand that it's the central bank that is the funder of this war machine that really fights against peace. And the church would also recognize that by our own greed, we have enslaved ourselves to our government. Jesus clearly states in uh, the parable of the sower, Matthew uh, 13, 22, quote, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And uh, even Solomon realized that uh, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender, and that's in uh, Proverbs 22.7. Number three, the church would not be in partnership with the government with the 501c3 tax code. And a lot of people don't know that in 1954, it was then-Senator Lyndon Johnson that championed that legislation that led to churches becoming incorporated and uh, restriction on political speech, effectively putting churches under the control of the government. Number four, the church would not be complicit in genocide. Present-day Christians would, I think if you ask them, they would all claim that, oh, I wouldn't have supported the genocide of the Native American people, you know, if I'd been alive back then. But they, the church and most of the Christians don't seem to have any problem now supporting the confiscation of property and the slow genocide of the Palestinian people by the apostate Jewish state of Israel. This will only be rectified if the church comes to recognize that the doctrine of premillennial dispensationalism is a heretical theology, it's not sound theologically, and most important, it doesn't look like or represent Jesus. And as I was writing this one paragraph, I thought back to that the woes when Jesus said, he's quoting the, the Jews of the day, he says, well, if we'd lived in those days of our fathers, we wouldn't have taken part of them in the shedding blood of the prophets. And I thought about that. I go, that is the same thing that's going on. You know, you know we, we think, oh, we wouldn't have done that to the Native Americans, but yet we're, we're allowing genocide to take place. And also, and the thing that makes it so sad, that genocide is being done in the name of God. Number five, the qualities of Jesus would be evident in the church. And as you think of Jesus' life, you think of self-sacrificial, compassionate, merciful, forgiving, healer, teacher, honest. And the last one I put was nice. Jesus was nice. He wasn't mean. And so uh, the American church learned from, I said, from John, Nick, and Joe in Stand for Truth against the religious establishment of today. So that's my, that's my little piece for that night, guys. I'm sure it's generated some, uh, some thought. Excellent, Craig. And just a question of where to start. I think we could have a session around each one of these five. I wrote down more than five, but uh, these five qualities that you've talked about would be worthy of a session in itself, I think. Exactly. Right. That's, that's what I said from the beginning, because, you know, I've, I've got books on my shelf that could you know, cover each one of these. And that's why, to me, the problem is so big. How do we attack it you know, piece by piece? I mean, here we hold these truths. We're going at the, the Christian Zionism. That's kind of the, the main focus. But it does infiltrate into the politics, into the banking system, into just you, you name it, the academy, history. It's so broad that there's a, just a holistic attack against truth. And you know, where do you going to pick your battle? Yeah, the, the church really doesn't know how to 
get into any of these subjects because they're afraid of being accused of being political. And I don't know if they even think about the 501c3 status, but they surely do know they don't want to lose any members. So they, right. they're afraid that they'll lose a, a Trump advocate if they if they talk about uh, some of these issues or or uh, an Obama advocate if, a year ago. So the questions of, of anything that leads one into politics is taboo, uh, except, of course, when it comes to the politics of Israel and Palestine. Right. And uh, 40% of our American churches consider that open game. They can talk about that any Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday. Right, exactly. And we've talked about the $21 trillion in debt. And the interesting thing is that we're giving Israel $10 million a day, and that's money that we have to borrow to give to them. If that isn't stupid, I don't know what is. Right. Yeah. So why can't we talk about that since this money is being spent for war? And we now have $20 trillion of federal debt, and, and our so-called banking leaders, if you want to call them that, they're not banking leaders. They're, they are, as you pointed out, they're the Federal Reserve System, which is basically our, one of the rulers over us. But they have created all of that debt, and uh, most of it, a good, well over half of it, came in the uh, cause of maintaining wars or bailing out the economy after wars. Right. I think we should pick out a couple of these subjects and, and uh, talk about them maybe in the next session, and maybe it would be uh, good to just do a thumbnail review of this and then lead into one of these topics and discuss one of them, Craig. Uh, You know, I see things that we really need to talk about that Americans are being wrapped up in as a result of their fears of what you've just addressed here. And I I look at the Bitcoin craze and this phenomenon that's going on where you have this amazing uh, bubble going on and it's being fed largely by fears of what our government has done and what our churches have been afraid to talk about. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So these, so these issues you've raised here are very much issues that are certainly fair game and should be discussed, and, and especially for the benefit of, of younger people because they have no idea how to address these questions when they go out. I believe that the millennial age is the least educated age we've seen. They all know how to run a computer, uh, and they can all teach us wonderful things about, about how to how to live and exist in a computer age, but they haven't been taught much by their parents and schools and uh, about these questions and issues that are so key to them. Maybe we can kind of address it that way. Maybe we can talk about what millennials should know about our government and the Bible or something like that. Right. Because it's too old to teach people like me. <laughs> we don't have by now. We're not going to get. <laughs> but the, uh, do you want to pick one of the five that we can uh, sort of delve into a little more, Craig? Obviously, like the first one, as I said, number one, the church as followers of the Prince of Peace would be advocates of peace, not war. That is just like a duh, a no-brainer. You say you follow the Prince of Peace and you support war. What's wrong with this picture? And how they support war without saying they do. We've got different phases to talk about. The evangelicals, of course, they say they're against war, but they're in favor of Israel's right to exist. Mm-hmm. And they equate the Arab world as out to destroy Israel and take Israel away from them when Israel has more weapons than the entire Arab, Arab world put together. Exactly. Next time we will go into detail on some of this and talk about 
this topic, and you want to talk about the war one. So basically, well, how do Christians support war and not follow the Prince of Peace? Great. Boy, and see, that opens up that whole can of worms with the, the land letter and, and all that stuff, that, that pastor in, in Texas. That's that whole can of worms. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.